This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. I, I hope you were able to connect with family over last week's holidays. You know, we had a Zoom Seder, Liz, and I, and I hope you had a good Easter and hope uh, Dean Lantain did as well. Uh, but, you know, for Passover, we all get together for Seder, and this year we did it by Zoom, and we actually had uh, people from as far away as France on our Seder. So technology has changed the way we think about things, I think. It has, and uh, uh, Professor Stacy Lantang um, from the University of Mississippi School of Law. She's also the Associate Dean for Faculty Development. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And you're in Rhode Island, so you got to have, uh, uh, is, is it winter? Is it spring there? <laughs> we are squeaking our way towards spring. It's actually, I grew up here, and it's been years since I was home for New England spring. And I have to say, it's it's really dazzling. Every day we get up and there's more flowers and there's more trees in bloom. So it's nice. We're getting there. And, and this is, it's so amazing because really, you know, we think about how, COVID has affected our lives, no question. But one thing is we're, we're definitely using technology more and differently. And, you know, Stacy's schedule is so busy as associate dean, and she speaks around the country. Uh, she's teaching classes. She's been on NPR. Uh, and so, you know, to, to be able to have her on the show from Rhode Island, this is, you know, it opens up new worlds for us, and we really appreciate you being here. I mean, why do we have to worry about, though? You're, you're an expert in intellectual property law, and you've, you've spoken about it, um, and you've, you're, you're a published author. Why do we have to be concerned about intellectual property rights in, in, in this time? So I think I think there are two reasons. And one is the very practical reason that many of the so the pharmaceuticals, the drugs that we're using for treatments, the testing kits, the the personal protective equipment, a lot of those things are covered by intellectual property. So in this fight that we're in against this virus, there are a lot of intellectual property implications that have to be negotiated. And so there's that very practical, you know, frontline um, strategy of intellectual property that you have to tackle. But I think also the secondary one, which is important in its own way, is that this has really exposed how vital creativity is to the human soul. Um, when you think about we're all stuck in our houses and all of us are desperately trying to feel connection through movies and television and books and music, right? Like all of these things that we've suddenly realized how important it is for us to feel um, that amount of creativity. And we've had musicians reaching out to give concerts from their home and movies making their, or movie studios rather, making their movies available. And I think it's really exposed how important creativity is to us as a culture. And, and we can really take it for granted until the moment when you're, you're struck with, you need some comfort and that's what you look for. It's so interesting. And I know near term, you know, for, for real close to my heart and your heart is the fact that we are all teaching online and you and I have done it, uh, for, you know, before and the summers. But for a lot of our colleagues, this is the first time they've, they've tried to teach online. A lot of the 
people teaching at the public schools or teaching online for the first time. What are some of the issues they need to think about? And, and also, what do their students have to think about in terms of intellectual property? You know, it's it's really not, I think what this is, what if there are, so I keep dealing with, are there any little upsides to, to this horrible situation that we're going through? And one of them might be that I think we do really need to tackle the fact that online teaching has been sort of treated differently. We have a different statute called the Teach Act that was passed in, I think, 2002 that was meant to deal with the sort of online education and give it different rules about what kind of materials you can put on and what you can't put up there. And the reason I'm highlighting that is that that's not a thing that you think about when you teach in person. You don't have a special statute that that's governing you, right? Like you just get up there and you teach and you show clips if you need to show clips and you need and you pass things around if you need to pass things around and you feel pretty secure because we have this doctrine in copyright law called fair use that protects among other things most educational uses. Um, and then it's weird to think about how we all moved online and it was a tremendous change. And at the same time, it's essentially the same act, right? Like we're teaching and they're learning. It's just the media that that's, that's different. Um, and so it's weird to think about, should we be treating, um, our copyright obligations differently in this time? And under the teach act, historically, that was true that, that you might have limitations about what you can put into your PowerPoint presentations and how widely you can make those things available. And can you put them up on YouTube? And do you have permission to share the textbooks? And there's a lot of implications like that, that I think we aren't really thinking about right now. You know, we're kind of in, in crisis mode and that's okay. We are in crisis mode. We had to get these classes online as quickly as possible and we just did it. Um, in the legal world, the textbook publishers were wonderful and extremely cooperative about making their textbooks available online for the students who didn't have access to them. That's all worked out. But I think that it might start people thinking about why is it that we're treating it differently to begin with, right? Um, why, why do we need special dispensations from the textbook? publishers to get the work, the books available online. If the students buy a paper copy of the book, why does it automatically come with an online copy of the book, right? Like that could be something that we might think about. Um, and so I think it will be interesting to see going forward what differences come from how we think about what our legal obligations are through online teaching. I know you and I, Richard, we have taught online before and I don't, we, you, did you have to go through the training that you have to go through for online teaching? I did, and then they, yeah. they, even, they even reviewed my class a couple of years later to make sure that I was up to speed on things like a ADA compliance and stuff like that. So there's, Right, there's like all that stuff, ADA stuff is not stuff that we, we think overly much about when we teach face-to-face, -face, although we probably should always be thinking about it at all times, but that has added an extra layer. Um, but also the copyright, we had to take a quiz on, on copyright law in connection with that class, and I think I failed it a couple times before I finally passed, despite the fact that I'm a copyright scholar, because they they were so risk-averse with everything that they were saying, right? It was like, you can't share this and you can't share that. And I was thinking, you know, I would share that in, in a face-to-face -face thing, so what makes it different in an online situation? And I think maybe we can think about um, how how we protect our classes to make sure that they're not just being shared all over the planet and that it does stay more classroom environment. But I think it is odd to be treating this act so differently from 
regular quote unquote teaching when it's it's the same thing. I think you would agree, Richard. Like, I don't think other than the media, our jobs did not radically change between the beginning of May and this point in time. Not at all. The only, I think the only thing for me is that uh, my students are happy they don't have an eight o'clock class anymore. They can watch it yes. whenever they want to. I think I'm happier about that than my students are. (laughs) But yeah, as for students, what I would say is, please, please don't share your professor's lectures and stuff on your Facebook page to the general public. I mean, but that just seems like general politeness, you know. I think you're right. And I, I understand that we have a couple of calls already. We do. This morning, we're speaking with Professor Stacey Lantang. On in legal terms, this our topic today is intellectual property. We're going to go first to Columbus and speak with Kathy. Kathy, thanks so much for calling in. What's your question or comment? Well, I have a historic old home in Columbus, and many people stop by the front of the house and take photographs of it, and I have no problem with that. I'm sure they're just for their photo albums and so forth, but. Uh, what if somebody started publishing calendars or note cards with the image of my property on it? Um, would I have any uh, rights to the image at all, or how does that work? So architecture is really interesting. Um, buildings are protected under the Copyright Act, um, and architects do have uh, copyrights in their their architectural designs but that we would think of as belonging to the architect more than to the owner of the building unless there was some kind of of transfer of those rights or something the other issue that is probably going to come up is that copyrights eventually expire and if you have a historic home i'm going to assume that whatever the copyrights might even have been if there even were any at the time when the home was built have probably expired by now which probably means that under most circumstances, you don't have a whole lot of control over that because things that are just, and this is true even with with architectural buildings where the copyright is still um, active, things that are just out in the public where the public can see, people can take pictures of those. Um, It's really hard to stop that. Um, And as for selling those pictures, well, what a skyline looks like, what a street looks like, we tend to think of those as being facts, right? Like what the street looks like is is what it looks like. And so people can't own facts. Um, and so the person who sells your photograph, they don't actually own what your house looks like. You can go and sell a competing photograph if you want. Um, but it's hard for anyone to own what the fact is of what that street actually looks like, which is why architectural designs can be so challenging Um in terms of copyright. And we tend to think of them more as protecting um, really unique buildings, right? Really unique structures, because in general, a house has to have windows and has to have doors. I guess it doesn't have to have windows, but it has to have doors. It has to have a roof um, and no one can own those particular things. So what you can actually own about what your house looks like is actually fairly narrow and, and your rights in that would be very limited. Okay, well, I just wanted to know where I stood in that regard, so I appreciate your information. Thanks for calling, Kathy. I would hope maybe just take it as a compliment because you can't do anything else. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill in Jackson, Mississippi, with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law in Oxford, Mississippi. And this morning, we're talking about intellectual property with Professor Stacy Lantang, who is in Rhode Island. Uh, Professor Lantang, do you have any comment about uh, the parodies and... Uh, these kind of creative things that are going on during COVID? I mean, I think they show, first of all, that this is how many humans deal with this stuff, right? I think a lot of us are are being creative in, in reaction to stress in our lives. I think that's a great way to deal with it. Um, the thing about, about parodies is they are generally speaking, protected under a doctrine called fair use, which I'm sure many people have heard of because it gets thrown around a lot in copyright um, circles. It's an extremely complex and unpredictable doctrine, but we do know that um, it can cover parodies like you like you just played. Um, and that can get confusing and it's not necessarily all parodies and commercial intent. There's a whole bunch of factors and stuff that go into the test, but a lot of, a lot of things of that nature, um, get covered by fair use, which is why fair use is such a valuable doctrine for us to have in copyright law, because it really is important. I think for us to be able to process things using recognizable pieces of pop culture that, that we can all relate to. Well, we've got a couple of calls from our listeners. Let's go to Pearl River County, and Steve has called in. Steve, thanks for calling into In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? I'd like to ask about the Chinese uh, uh, property, intellectual property rights. Uh, a couple of decades ago, I owned the uh, trademarks and copyrights to MicroPlus Key, which was a remote vehicle starting uh product. And we had a trade mission that came from China that had uh, one of the members of the Communist Party who was one of three people that could organize a corporation in China with the signature, plus a senior researcher for the uh, patent office from China. And so we reviewed with them our product and our desire to, to market it in China with their car companies. And uh, after we did our presentation to them, within two days, we found out that they had patented our product or trademarked it and all the things that we had in China. And so our attorneys came back and said, there's nothing you can do. So they estimated we lost a million and a half dollars in the value of our intellectual property because they did that to us. Is there any... There's probably no recourse now. It's long gone. But 
is there any improvement on working with China because of the just the cavalier way that they, they run their government and their businesses? It's like working with the with the mafia. <laughs> it's, it's tough. Is there any improvement for Americans who want to work with their patent and copyrights in China? Um, so I am not an expert in inter international intellectual property stuff. Um, what I can tell you is that I know that we have been working as a planet um, very hard to, to, to improve that situation. Um, and for many years, China and, and other countries um, have been a thorn in the side of like the entertainment industries because of, of rampant piracy that, that have been going on in, in other countries. Um, and so there has been concerted effort over the past couple of decades, I would say, to standardize intellectual property law and to get agreement in, okay, if you file a patent in this country, then it's going to lock in your rights in other countries if you do it in a certain way. Um, trademarks are trickier because trademarks, by definition, are established by your use. So if you're not using the trademark in a particular country that can leave it up for grabs, um, so trademarks can be difficult. But with, with patents, we, we do have a treaty in place that if countries have signed on to that treaty, then you can file your patents in a particular way that will give you priority in every country that has signed on to those treaties. I have to say that off the top of my head, I do not know which treaties China has signed on to and has not signed on to. Um, but there there is an effort to, to standardize this. The challenge is intellectual property is um, an area of law where there's actually reasonable people can disagree on what you are trying to accomplish with, with intellectual property. So, I mean, relevant to, to the world that we're living in right now, there is a lot of debate about whether pharmaceuticals should be protected by patent, which is what we do in this country, or whether they the public interest overrode that and you shouldn't have them protected by patent because it was more important to make them widely available, which is which is the stance that other countries were taking. And um, the stance that we take is, well, you need to give them protection because that drives, um, incentivizes research and development and the production of these. We get more valuable pharmaceuticals if we allow protection over them. Um, but you could see how people can disagree on that. And so actually intellectual property is a field where it is very difficult to to reach agreement because they're, they're very real and, and, and respectful um, ideological differences in what people want to use their intellectual property fields for. Um, with res so that's one of the, the challenges with patent. With respect to trademark, like I said, trademark is geographic. Um, it's geographic within this nation. So, you know, you can open up a restaurant in Oxford, Mississippi, and I can open up a restaurant here in Rhode Island, and we can have the same name because we're not really going to overlap in each other's markets. Um, and so that's that's a real challenge internationally for trademark if you're not a company like McDonald's or, or Coca-Cola. Thank you, Steve. We appreciate you calling in. This is In Legal Terms. If you have a question or a comment that you'd like to talk with Professor Stacy Lane Tang about concerning intellectual property, we would love to have you call in or email us. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Let's go to 
Craig, who has called in from Biloxi. Thanks, Craig. What's your comment or question for the show today? Okay, well, I'm making a list. If I'm on hold much longer, it'll be the whole page. <laughs> um, how do I find? How do you find a, an infringement attorney? I have seen a lot of uh, listings. I have never seen one for infringement. You they, so they would be they would be practicing intellectual property. That's what you want to find is is an attorney who practices intellectual property. They would be able to handle. Um, infringements, especially if they do intellectual property litigation. There are a couple different types of intellectual property. People who specialize in patents um, might not do as many copyright and trademark cases and vice versa. So depending on if you have an invention um, versus if you have something creative or you're running a business. If you're running a business and selling things, you're probably going to need a trademark person. If you are creating things like music or books, you need a copyright person. And if you are inventing things, um, then you would need a, a patent person. But they wouldn't really list infringement in their field of specialty. They would talk about patents, trademarks, copyrights, intellectual property. Okay. And what kind of court would you go to if, if you did go, uh, if you did have to go through a court? It's basically um, almost always going to be federal court. You're gonna you're gonna be in a federal district court. Patent, um, copyright, and trademark for the most part are federal bodies of law. So you'll go to federal district court wherever you might be. You're in Biloxi, so I think that's Southern District of of Mississippi would be. You're gonna be in the federal system. Okay, I sound like big time there. Uh, uh, who do, okay, who decides if there is an infringement? The the attorneys or and and how. Uh, like like I do is like I'm thinking particular a song. I mean, if you change one note in a song, uh, is is that still going to be infringement? Yeah. So uh, songs are are quite the challenge for for us right now. Um, the standard is that there has to be substantial similarity in something that is protectable from the viewpoint of an ordinary observer. And so I say that's something that is protectable because you may have heard um, the person who called in about their historic house. Uh, and I said, you can't really own the fact of what your street looks like, the fact of what a city, a city skyline looks like. So you need to have something protectable that has been taken. And then if the works are substantially similar, then that would be infringement. It doesn't have to be identical. Changing a single note would probably not matter. Um, because that seems to me like it would probably be substantially similar still. Um, the person who would decide that would be the finder of fact, which is usually the jury, right? Like it's the jury who's going to make the ruling about whether or not there is infringement. But um, due to civil procedure stuff that I don't need to get into, sometimes the judge can can make that decision as well. What your attorney would tend to do would you would go to your attorney. I mean, this is what attorneys do, right? You go to your attorney and you you explain to them what's going on in your life and they'll ask you the legally relevant questions. And then your attorney would be able to give you legal advice about what your rights are in that situation. OK, and, and the final one, how can you protect like a, a song? Uh, so what would you do to copyright protect? yeah so copyright is automatic as soon as you have created the work and the term of art is fixed it in a tangible medium which basically means in a song you have to 
either record it or or write it down in using musical notation or something of that nature. Um, copyright attaches as soon as you do that. In order to um, sue on your copyright, though, you have to register it with the Copyright Office, which is extremely easy to do. Um, the website is www.copyright.gov, um, and they have forms right there divided up according to what your creative work is. So musical composition versus piece of art versus novel. The form is like two pages long. It's really just, hey, what did you create? What's your name? Um, you send in a fairly insubstantial fee and um, you would get your copyright registration back for that. Okay, well, I, I do guitar, so I'll probably have to learn how to read and write music. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. We're so glad that Craig was able to call in. We're talking with Professor Stacy Lantang about intellectual property. Have you been listening to podcasts during this emergency time? We'll tell you about a very good series next you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. There are many different podcasting platforms. I kind of played around with some, and I'm sticking with Podcast Addict. Uh, that has the podcasts I want to listen to. I downloaded it to my phone. I, take, I touched the plus button that took me to the page to search for podcasts. Then I typed in in legal terms in the search area. It brought up in legal terms. And then I was able to touch the photo and then subscribe. And now I'm notified when any there are any new episodes that are loaded up. This morning, we are talking about intellectual property with our guest, Professor Stacy Lantang from the University of Mississippi School of Law, where she's also the Associate Dean for Faculty Development. Uh, we had a whole list of questions, but we're not getting to them because you're calling in with your questions. So let's go to Dave, who's called in from Madison. Dave, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question this, today? All right, first, I just want to say love the show. And um, my comment is my father, he is a retired NFL football player with a chemistry degree. He invented a shoe called the TF Inflator uh, in the 90s. Um, there was a shoe that um, athletes could wear, and if they had like a mild sprain or a fracture or something like that, uh, the shoe could be pumped up with helium, which uh, is a cold compound, which is a cold gas that, that you know, has 
ice-like properties. So if you were to fracture your ankle, it would, um, it would, you know, put ice on the problem. Well, he worked with the company that uh, helped with patents and copyrights and legal and everything. But within four months, another shoe came out. Of course, it did not have helium or anything to cool it, but it looked good, and you pumped it up with air from a basketball called the Reebok pump. <laughs> so just, just to, I'm, I'm trying to find out, it's been years, but is there something, I mean, it, he, had, he had the shoe, he had a, a prototype, he had everything, blueprints, and it went that way. Now, it's not the same shoe, of course, the Reebok pump pumped up with air, his shoe pumped up with helium, which would have been a much more productive shoe. What could he do? Yeah, so this happens um, an incredible amount of time that people have similar ideas at, at the same time or similar times. And so, you know, your father's working on something and Reebok was probably working on the same thing around the same period of time. Um, and often that just happens independently, right? Like people just have the same idea um, occur to them with some differences, right? Which is what you pointed out, that there are some differences, what can be done really depends on the intellectual property um, protection that is in place. Um, and I know Professor Gershon, we were chatting before the show, and he mentioned that he watches the show Shark Tank and that they're always asking about, well, what's the intellectual property that you have? Um, mm -hmm. With things like inventions, it is often really, really, really important to get your patent application on file as quickly as possible, because once you disclose the invention, it starts this top, this clock ticking, and then it's really difficult to assert your ownership over the particular invention if you haven't already gotten your patent application um, in. And so that's one of the things to worry about when it comes to inventions. And that's why they ask about that on Shark Tank, because if you're going around trying to sell your product and you you've you know, revealed your idea to a bunch of people, you've kind of left yourself exposed to them changing little details here and there and, and being able to spin off of it because you haven't locked your intellectual property protections into, into place there. Okay. Okay. Does that right, help? Well, I, that I mean, does it doesn't help, help. Does help. I, I think <laughs> because it's 30 years later. But... I, I think he did have everything locked, but um, like you said, it's a time issue. It's a, and, and yeah. we'll, do some re we'll do some more research. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Stacey you, Thank you. Stacy mentioned yeah. Shark Tank. You know, they're always talking about they bring their inventions on and somebody says, well, you know, um, I, I put it out there and somebody was knocking it off almost right away, you know, and it, uh, you know, and it does seem like it's very hard once your product is out there to keep it protected. Yeah. And it's, I know it's really annoying to, to get an attorney and file a patent application. It costs money before you've gone to market. But once your product's out there, if you don't have that that protection locked in, there's there's really very little you can do. We're going to go to Vicksburg now, and Malcolm is on the line. Malcolm, thanks very much for calling in. What's your comment or question today? I've got a copyright question. I'm an amateur songwriter, and my songs evolve over time, and I was wondering if... Uh, when I apply for copyright, which I've been doing, would I have to reapply if I change the lyrics substantially? 
So if you change them substantially, um, that's that's the word that I, I really um, sort of glommed onto in, in what you were saying. Um, and so how we view copyright is your copyright will protect what you have registered and things that are substantially similar to it. If you've made changes that mean that you have something that is no longer substantially similar to what is registered, then under the law, I think we would most likely call that just a new work, right? It's no longer substantially similar to what was registered. And so that would probably need um, a new registration to, to cover that. Um, but but as I said, your copyright will cover identical things and also things that are substantially similar to it in terms of protection. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, I, I need to recopyright a couple of songs that I've really completely redone the lyrics. The chords and the melodies are right. the same, but I changed the lyrics. So yeah, and those those are often two separate things things right like often there's music and then there's lyrics um and yes you combine them in a song but um but yeah if you if you change one dramatically then you have a different song really think about okay. think about the the parody for maybe it's COVID outside right right i heard that earlier okay so i should recopyright this yeah, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give you legal advice, but I'll, I'll tell you the, that, that, that that's the standard is that if it's, if it's no longer substantially similar, then it's probably a new work. Okay, great. All right, well, that's all I need. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you. Well, this is, you know, it, it's so interesting. I mean, even, uh, you know, these, COVID or not, I mean, people are creative, and uh, it does seem like COVID is, is making people more creative, but we're also doing a lot more streaming. And so I, I have a question for you, Stacey. I mean, I, I, okay. I saw a tweet from somebody who said, uh, I finished Netflix, you know, I've, <laughs> I've completed Netflix. Um, and, you know, so while we're sheltering in place, I mean, some of us have uh, Netflix accounts and others don't. So, I mean, is there, a pro is there an issue, an intellectual property issue, if I share my password and username with someone? So this is... It's it's both a matter of intellectual property law and also contract law, because what you're doing is you're basically licensing the access to this creative content, right? Like somebody owns the copyright to it and they are providing it to you on the terms of, of a particular license. So that's where the contract is coming in. And so it really it's going to depend on what the terms of use are for the particular service that you're that you're streaming on. Um and the thing about most of these services, I think, I know that Netflix works this way, and I think a couple of others work this way, is it doesn't really matter in a way who you give your password to, because they're keying your access to the number of devices that can be watched at one time, right? So I think instead of getting into the whole you know, how do people define family? And is this, you know, a member of your household? Is your is your college student daughter a member of your household if she's now living on the other side of the country? And rather than getting into all of that, that Netflix does it per device. And so if you want to share your password with your college student daughter on the other side of the country, go for it as long as you have you have an account that has given you access to the appropriate number of devices. And that's just all about the license, right? You can upgrade how many devices you can get. You can lower the number of devices that you can get depending on how many people you want to share your password with. But I think rather than 
you know, getting into the messiness of policing. I feel like we're all dealing with that now in our definitions of, you know, who is a member of your household? Who are you quarantining and staying in place with, right? It's hard. Everybody's got different definitions of a family. And I think Netflix, rather than getting into that, has just been like, okay, we'll let you use it on five devices and we're not going to make you explain to us, you know, this is my best friend's stepmother's cousin's brother who I used to hang out with, you know, just leave it. No, it's so interesting. You know, what, what about this one? This one has always made me wonder, you know, we, I, I have bought on Amazon movies, you know, where they say you can buy mm-hmm. it or rent it. And I've decided there's a movie I wanted to see. Now in the old days with the DVD, I could easily share that DVD with someone. Yeah. Um, was that okay? Yes. Um, it, it was okay for you to share the DVD with people. Um, so the challenge and, and we're again, the COVID crisis is really exposing all of this is we no longer have tangible items of, of these pieces of creativity, right? Like we stream all of our television and our movies, um, books, still exist, obviously, but, but in this time of libraries being closed, many people are turning to eBooks. Um, and those aren't tangible, right? Like you can't hold them. And for centuries, we developed copyright law to deal with tangible things. How were we governing tangible things? And so it was very clear to us, if you bought a copy of a book, you didn't own the copyright to that book. You couldn't make copies. You couldn't make a movie out of it. But you could take your physical copy that you now own and you could share it with a friend. Sure. You could sell it to a used bookstore if you wanted to. Right. Um, You could do whatever you wanted with that particular copy of the book. So long as it wasn't, you know, what you wanted to do was make a movie because that's the right of a copyright holder. Um, So that's a doctrine called the first sale doctrine or the exhaustion doctrine. And it's been really, really challenged in the digital world because there is really no way for you to share a digital copy of something without a copy being made of it, right? There's no, you can't hand the physical movie. You have to send it or link it to people in some way. And then that often results in some kind of copy being made. And a copy is the exclusive right of the copyright holder. And so this has been raised a lot in court cases that the move to digital has really, um, eliminated this first sale doctrine right that we had that once you bought something you did have the right to share it and pass it on um and we're still struggling with that i don't really have an answer to that courts are still struggling with how you can make it um so that you have that right to do things with things that you have bought um the move to intangible has really limited our ability to share legally as much as we might want to um, I think the copyright holders would say on the other side of it that it is much easier for you to share than it was at any other period of time. That what they're worried about is, yeah, you buy the movie and you can now, you know, stick stick it on a on your OneDrive or your Apple Cloud or whatever you want to use and put a link on Facebook and 700 people can watch that movie, which you couldn't do with the physical copy of the movie, right? And so we're trying to find a balance between those two extremes. Would you like to hear some additional information from Professor Lan Tang? We'll tell you where you can get some next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law and Professor Stacy Lantang, who's been a guest on In Legal Terms in the past, on December 12th of 2019, she spoke about intellectual property. On September 11th of 2018, she spoke about genetic testing. And on September 5th of 2017, copyright law was our topic. We want to make sure that you know that up next at 11 a.m. is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. We have a call now. We're going to go to uh, Meridian and speak with Jackie. Jackie, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, When I was married, my husband worked for um, a digital electronic company, very small, and he sold several patents. Wait, he had several patents in his name. He passed away in 91. It, should he have received royalties from that patent? Would I be eligible to receive those royalties? So a couple of things. Um First of all, if he was an employee, that might have added some wrinkles to it um, because he might have assigned the patents over to his employer. I don't know. That depends on particular employment situations. But if people are sitting there listening, um, that might have been a thing that those people have done is to sign patents over. The other thing, though, to know about patents is, um, yes, intellectual property, all intellectual property um, survives the, the holder's death. Um, but with patents, they're only um, they're only valid for uh, roughly 17 years or so. Um, I'm saying roughly because we we changed the how long the period was a few years ago. But anyway, that's all my way of saying that um, those might have been out of ex- out of not valid anymore. Um, by the time of your husband's death and certainly would no longer be valid now. Um, and so that could also have been affecting whether or not there was any royalty. So I guess a couple of things, one could be that it had been assigned to the company. And then the other is just that patents, as opposed to other types of intellectual property, copyright lasts a very long time, life plus 70 trademarks last as long as you use them. Patents don't last very long, um, comparably speaking. And so it's, it's, it's very possible that you don't have any active patents at the time of of passing away because of how short their terms are. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you, Jackie. Um, we've got about two minutes left. Well, with that two minutes, I mean, we, we had talked about, you tweet about um, 3D printing and the effect on intellectual property. People may be making masks and things like that that might be protected. Uh, two minutes is not enough, and we need to do a whole <laughs> show. But, uh, but what, what would you have to, what, what, what about all that stuff? I mean, and I feel like now it's down to one minute. So I think what I would say is um, 3D printing really challenges uh, intellectual property in that people can own design patents, which is a type of patent that covers the design of a product. Um, In addition to utility patents, there has been some running afoul of that. What I would say uh, really quickly is intellectual property at heart is creating scarcity, right? It's, it's, it's restricting who it is who can produce particular things. And in normal periods of time, I don't think we notice that. Um, it has implications, but I think we're really noticing it now when scarcity is the opposite of, of what we need. Um, and so people are being really, what I would say is innovative and enterprising and being like, we've got 3D printing, let's just do it. And and we have this doctrine on the other side of it pushing back that's supposed to be like, no, it's not supposed to be that easy for you to, to make these things. But we're in a crisis situation where I think a lot of people would say we need it to be that easy to make these things right now. Um, and that's that's just going to be an ongoing policy debate. I think we're going to have about 3D printers and, and their effects on IP. Well, we need a couple more hours to get into this, so you'll need to listen to some of our past podcasts to uh, get a good feel for some of this. Thank you, Professor Stacy Lantang, for being on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Kevin Farrell, and Michelle McAdoo has helped out, along with our board engineer in Jackson, Jay White. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who uh, it teaches online um, and from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.